Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, January 24th, 2024. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's choosing to join us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say Start Here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet, And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experiences I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You may also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively engage these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Once you call that number, if you press 1 on your phone, put a little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code, and we can have a conversation. Alternatively, you can give us, send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. 
Or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. And if you send us a comment, a question, an answer, or testimonial through an email, we will address it on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for your input or feedback. And we also appreciate whenever anybody does that because it makes it so much easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be of service, and that's just a whole lot easier to do when we know how things are landing for you, what's working, what's of best use to you, whether it's the reading of the Way of Mastery with commentary or it's discussions or it's people stepping through worksheet process, actually being guided through the worksheet process on the show, which has happened many times over the last 13 years. And um, we're about to finish our 13th year at the end of this month, if I have my start times accurately denoted. That's I believe it was, I know the year was 2011, and I think it was at the end of January that we began the show. So um, despite various reports about it's only 12 years or 10 years or whatever, it's been 13 full years now. And uh, along with that, even long before we had the uh, radio show, we had a support group that was running on Tuesdays from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Saturday, or on Tuesday nights and Thursday nights. That started about 10 years ago, but almost 20 years ago, we started the support group on Tuesdays, which is still running. And um, all the information about joining us for that, absolutely free, is available on the mindshiftersacademy.org website. And... um, We had a group last night, and we just had a lot of discussion and processing. And um, it's it's fascinating how no one tool works for everyone, and that's part of our discussion last night, that people need to find individually what works for them. And one of the core truths that we observe with our spiritual teachings and that resonates through everything that I'm willing to share on this show, is that there's no external source that can tell you exactly what you need to do to move forward in your life, to resolve your issues in your life, because everybody's different. Everybody's had their own path. And everybody needs to find their own ability to access an an internal wisdom. That's what we talk about in this work as your personal internal guidance that is unique to you. I almost launched into the, the line from a previous worksheet that was so powerful for me. But that was talking about not internal guidance, but talking about reality. My reality is strictly internal. It's unique to me and is created out of my own thoughts. 
my internal guidance is not created out of my thoughts. My internal guidance is something I can get access to through insight, intuition, inspiration. You might call it the Holy Spirit. You might call it the Christ mind. You might call it your connection with the divine. Regardless of what you call it, these teachings are directed towards helping every one of us as individuals turn inside and make that connection and then make the best possible use of that connection. So if there's anything we can do to help you tune into what your internal guidance would be telling you, what's best for you to resolve your pain, fear, sadness, any of your mental, emotional suffering, that's what this work is about. And we're offering a set of tools. They may not resonate for everybody who's listening. And yet there's a lot about the truth underlying the tools that can be of use to anybody who chooses to take advantage of it. And that's what we're here for. Um, there was some discussion about the various worksheet process, processes that we have offered over the years. Michael Rice's 12-step and 7-step reality management worksheet We've offered access to Diedrich Wolzak's Choose Again Worksheet, six-step process. We've offered access and discussions about Byron Katie's set of questions and worksheet on questions and turnarounds. We've discussed Ho'oponopono at great length. We've discussed the Sedona Release Method. We've recommended and given resources for people to use the EFT tapping, the emotional freedom technique tapping. And we suggest Brad Yates as a resource for that on YouTube. You get lots and lots of free material from him and uh, a resource where you can basically use him and his videos as a personal coach because you can sit there and tap with Brad. And that's actually the name of his website, tapwithbrad.com. So... Um, please understand if you if your mind is telling you anything other than uh, you have the resources within you that you have an internal guidance system if if anything about what we're saying strikes you as saying we we think you should be following us or listening to what we're saying that's not what that's not our purpose our purpose is to help people have access to questions and tools and resources that help them usher themselves into a new experience of life, into a new experience of their own process of thought and how that creates their emotions and how with the power of their ability to choose the focus of their thoughts and their conscious awareness that is how they create their experience of life and that's our purpose for being here to help each and every person who listens who follows along whether they're reading the course in miracles or the way of mastery or the Tao Te Ching or the Tao Made Easy by Alan Cohen or Course in Miracles Made Easy by Alan Cohen. Whatever you're doing, if we can help you follow your own guidance, 
tap into and follow your own guidance at a deeper level, that is what we're here for. That's what's rewarding for us. And yesterday, no one raised a hand. We had all kinds of time for discussion, so I went back to reading, and I started reading in the way of mastery. I did a quick rehash of Lesson 7, which calls us to wake up to the fact that our true nature is love and we're always connected to our source. And the only thing that stops us from having that awareness day-to-day, moment-to-moment, is our use of the creative force to generate fear or to contract away from the truth of our connection to our creator. And lesson eight, I started reading yesterday, asks us to pay attention to how every thought that we value, that we give value to, that we think over and over again, creates a ripple in our mind. It creates, it's a creative force that sends out creative energy fields, ripples, energies, which interact with the world at large and what you might call the quantum soup and bounce back to us. And then we get to experience the effects of what we've chosen. And yesterday, I read five and a half pages of that first, the first five pages of Lesson 8. And so today, to pick that up, since nobody has a hand up, I'll pick up reading in the section titled, Creating as Christ. Just a quick reminder, in this work, every time the word Christ is used, it is not indicating a person. It's not Jesus the Christ. It is Christ as an office, as the one mind, as that state of mind and being that is constantly, eternally aware of its connection to its source. So, the text reads, When you drop the pebble into the mind that says, quote, I am not a victim of the world I see. I am a ceaseless creator made of and of one substance with my creator itself. Close quotes. When I choose to value this thought, quote, I am not a victim of the world I see. I am a ceaseless creator made of and of one substance with my creator itself. Close quotes. Then indeed, the questions begin to take a different shape. You begin to use the power of your awareness to deliberately and selectively choose which vibrations and which webs of relationships you're going to pull into your field of awareness. Which ones are you going to resonate with and which ones are you going to let dissolve from your mind and dissolve from your awareness? If you've held onto a thought of smallness, a thought of lack, or a thought of powerlessness, 
Now you begin to see that it is perfectly neutral. It is perfectly safe to look upon everything you've ever created and experienced and say, oh, it is very good, and now I'm done with it. So then what's next? What pebbles can I drop into my holy mind in this very moment? Can I look upon the current experience I'm having and see that it is nothing but the effect or the ripple of a pebble or a thought that I dropped into my mind so long ago that I don't even remember it? Can I look upon those events that are unfolding around me and Believe me, if they're unfolding in your body, that's still around you. For you are much more than just your body. Can I begin now, in this moment? Am I willing now to drop a different pebble into the still and infinite clarity of the pool of my awareness? And that still infinite clarity of the pool of my awareness, that is what is alive about me always. So do I dare think a different thought? Do I dare drop such a pebble into my consciousness? And if so, what would those thoughts be? What would those pebbles be? So here are some suggestions. I think I'll become a world savior, a Christ. What would that be like? What vibrations would I need to let go of in my life? And which ones would I need to open up to? And then what would that feel like? What would I see as I look out through the field of my awareness at creation? I think I'll allow myself to be able to commune with any web of relationship, any soul, any being that exists on any plane of creation. Why, perhaps I'll even allow myself to know that I can be in communication with Yeshua. How wealthy can I become in this third dimensional reality? How many golden coins could I possibly create in order to give them away to others? How many places on the planet could I take the body in the span of one short physical life? How many things could I say, I love you to? How big can I make my heart be? How deep can I make my experience of peace be? The realm of possibilities is as infinite as you are. The ones you select and choose are the ones that will create the web of relationships that you will call your life, your experience, even right down to the quality of how you will experience the transition that is mistakenly called death in your world. So a few people recently have 
commented about how there seems to be some synchronicity between the first hour and the second hour of the Internet shows. Even when uh, there's clearly no overt communication and coordination of the content because Michael and Jeannie are not reading The Way of Mastery. Michael and Jeannie weren't reading The Course in Miracles uh, the year before when, when we read that. And Michael and Jeannie weren't reading any of the books that we've read and shared. And yet, themes keep coming up and seem to come up in parallel. Well, the day before yesterday, Michael Rice's sister was you know, inviting them by phone to, to, to be present energetically and, and through voice as she proceeded with physician-assisted suicide because she was near the end of her physical functioning. And so then Michael has been talking about death and Michael's got a whole a whole view on it, a whole spin on it that says death is just something to heal and we're not supposed to drop the body and we can live forever, etc. And he has these mind shifters that he's been expanding and so there's a whole you know categories of mind shifters related to death. And some of them sound just like this, this this transition, energetic transition, that is mistakenly called death in your world. Because Michael says, clearly, the person isn't gone, the physical body's gone, but the essence of the person, their soul, their light, their energy, the memories you have about them lives on. So as you work in this Lesson 8, the idea of dropping certain thoughts into your awareness, into the still clear pool of your awareness, is very much like the process of doing a mind shifter and dropping a mind shifter onto the page and then watching what, what in you wants to respond to that. And then watching how as you clear up the negative beliefs that you that we all hold that we've accumulated in our own lives and sometimes we've inherited from our generations and some would say we bring them from our past lives but as we get clear about them consciously they lose their power to direct our thoughts words and actions in life and so we end up creating a different experience of life so the realm of possibilities of thoughts that you might choose are as infinite as you are. And as it says, the ones you select and choose and value and pour your mind energy into will create the web of relationships that you will call your life. This will become your experience right down to the quality of how you will experience the transition that we mistakenly call death in this world so then the text goes on and asks a question would you call it a death when you leave one room and close the door behind you and you step into another of course not you just say I was there and now I am here that according to this observation that 
is all that truly occurs when the molecules you have called to yourself are unglued because you release your value of them and their constituent parts dissolve back into the dust or the energy of the field of the planet. You merely leave one room and step into another. What I call you to in this lesson is to be willing to allow the pebble to be dropped into your field or into the pool of your awareness, the pebble that carries the energy of this thought, quote, from this moment forward, I elect to birth a Christ and thereby learn what Christ is, close quotes. Once you choose to value that thought, once you choose to practice valuing that thought, your experience becomes the unfolding of learning what Christ is. When that learning completes itself, you discover that what you have learned is what you are created to be. You will have returned full circle. The prodigal son or daughter journeying through the field of all possibilities, has finally returned as the awakened Christ and has taken up her rightful place at the right hand of the Creator. So what does all that symbolism mean? It just means that you finally think only with your right-mindedness. You think as the Creator thinks. And the Creator thinks lovingly. The Creator thinks infinitely, timelessly, patiently, certainly. And above all, the Creator thinks playfully, full of play. When you feel such love and joy welling up within you, that you can barely contain it. Isn't it true that you start dancing and moving the body and saying, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with all this energy? And you call your friends and you say, hey, let's have a party. Let's go to a movie. Let's create a delicious feast. You think, wow, who could I write a letter to? Who could I send flowers to? Isn't it true that you become caught up in the desire to let some of that energy expand out of you to touch all parts of your creation? Well, if that's true for you, how much more would it be for the creation itself? Infinite, vast, without a top or a bottom, without a left or a right, filled with nothing but pure, unconditional, radiant love. It's not even possible to imagine that the thought would arise in the mind of the Creator who's feeling that expansive energy. Ah, well, I think I'll just sit here and not let anybody know about it. It doesn't work that way. Creation itself expands, extends, explodes. That's its nature to grow, to multiply, to experience. And the Creation said, let there be light. And it is very good. And the Creator looked upon creation, which literally means not just this planet, 
but all of an infinite number of creations of dimension upon dimension upon dimension and all of the little webs of relationship that we call souls that were brought into existence in one split second and the creator looked at all of this and said this is very good this is my play my joy my love my aliveness have poured forth and overwhelmed my grand being and it's brought forth into manifestation and manifested creation you you are the effect of the creative energy extending itself and expressing in form you each and every one of you are made of the very substance of that overwhelming love and playfulness that has the power to create infinitely and thereby to extend creation itself that is who you are that is where you find yourself now and now and forever and you will never escape it this is the one thing it's already said earlier in this lesson this is the one thing you cannot change your mind energy is a creative force where you choose to direct it you will get more of what you focus upon just as Guy Finley says as goes my attention so comes my experience as I say based on countless readings of the way of mastery and course in miracles you have the infinite capacity to choose the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment and it is the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment the choices you make that create your experience of life in each moment what this means is you are a very powerful creator even before during and after you recognize that you are a powerful creator all of us have been creating ceaselessly since we became part of existence part of the creation the next section is titled creating mastery I want to highlight the word mastery here it has said numerous times in different ways mastery is not control it's also said in another part of this book one of the lessons we've already read that a master has mastered the art of always being a student a master is always asking to be taught taught by life taught by love taught by people that know it better whatever this topic subject matter is the the master goes to people who are even better than she is and asks to be taught so the text reads mastery comes when fear has been completely dissolved fear is dissolved not by fearing it not by hating it and not by judging it but fear is dissolved by being looked upon with perfect innocence fear is dissolved when it is embraced in the same way that a scientist would watch the ripples of a little pebble that has been dropped into a pool of water 
just to see how they have created other ripples and other temporary disturbances in the field or in the surface of the water. As you look within and notice the things you've become afraid of and how fear has constricted your creativity, your joy, your playfulness, and your unlimitedness, as you notice that, you merely look with innocence and wonder and say, oh, I see how that ripple has affected the creation that I call my life. Do I like it? Well, not anymore. Okay, good. I think I'll be rid of that. What can I replace it with? Mastery is a state in which you have embraced yourself as a ceaseless creator and you've assumed complete responsibility for everything that comes into the field of your awareness in total allowance, acceptance, and surrender without judging it so that you can simply decide whether it is going to stay or whether it will be dissolved in its effects because you shift the conscious, your focus of your conscious awareness over to something else. Mastery is fearlessness. That is, you no longer fear the infinite creative power of your perfect union with your creator. I and my creator are one. That is an expression of mastery. If I, Yeshua, who uttered those words so long ago in your experience of time, if I can demonstrate to anyone who will look that consciousness transcends the limited beliefs about the body, about life and death and the world, and it seems to be so determined to defend all of these aspects of the world at all costs, if I can demonstrate that only capital L love is real, if I can demonstrate the power to communicate with minds across creation, if I can bring forth creations by joining with other minds who maybe temporarily think they're just a body, and I do that so that written words fall upon a page, and then someone reads them out loud, and then you hear them, and it becomes a part of a teaching that's happening thousands of years after I drop the body, so that your heart is touched at just the right time. If I can do these things, so can you. And indeed, greater things than these shall you do. Beloved friends, is it not time to assume complete responsibility for the grand freedom that has been imparted to you by your creator, the source of your being? Is it not time to begin spending time disengaging from your entangled view that holds you to believe that what you feel and what you think is the effect of all the energies and things that are coming at you and from around you? Isn't it time to begin to use time to decide which pebbles you will drop into the field of your awareness consistently, day by day, hour by hour, even breath by breath? For it is truly these things that create your tomorrows, and you cannot 
ever escape the reality that you are and always will be in the process of creating your tomorrows. Death will not separate you from it. Denial does not change it. You are free to decide what your tomorrows will be through the act of seeking first the kingdom. What's the kingdom? It's the conscious awareness of your true nature within your field of experience and within your awareness. Seek first the kingdom. This means to rest into that inner silence in which you know with every fiber of your being that you are a wave having arisen with perfect momentum out of the depth of the ocean of the Creator's holy mind and that what you carry with you is the result of the thoughts and the beliefs and the perceptions just like little pebbles that you have dropped into the wave of your awareness. This very process is what created you, and this very process is how you have always created. If you have ever received an education, how did you end up with your body in a classroom? Did somebody kidnap you and sit you down and say, here, just learn these things? No. First you held a thought, a picture, and then you placed value upon it. And then you attracted the means that carried you into the lived experience of receiving the education that you had decided upon. What relationship have you ever entered out of lack of awareness? None. You dropped the pebble into the mind and said, I want relationship with another being, another body, another place on the physical planet. You have always been doing it. And you've always experienced the fruit or the effect of the quality of vibration of the pebble that has created the ripples that have become your experience. In reality, your experience, that is, your awareness, what is true about you, is no different than what is true about me, Yeshua. The only difference has been that I learned to train myself hour by hour to drop only unlimited pebbles, pebbles that send out vibrations of unconditional acceptance and capital L love, complete and total forgiveness or dismantling of judgments and perceptions, unconditional and unbridled vision and revelation, that's what I've chosen to do while you have selected to do that only a few times. And then you rush back and pick up the pebble of unworthiness or limitation or lack or fear or smallness. And then you drop 10 or 12 quick ones in. And then you go back to the cupboard and say, oh, wait, here's this little pebble that says I and my creator are one. Oh, well, I've had enough of that. And then back you go. While I stay on this side of the fence, saying things like, I and my Creator are one. I and my Father are one. I am an unlimited being forever. 
How many universes can I be the savior of today? You, on the other hand, have said, oh, that sounds very good. I and my father are one. Okay, yep, that's good. Oh, wait, here's a pebble that says my car needs to break down today. And that is all there is. Which side of the fence are you going to sit on and which pebbles are you going to drop into your pool of awareness? Which tree will you eat the fruit thereof? Will you eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Use that symbolism well. For when you drop the pebble into the pond, it's like saying, well, I think I'll take a bite of this piece of fruit. Oh, but it's so sweet. It's so good and so perfect. Yeah, I better have a bite of a rotten one, too, just to balance it out. The tree of good and evil, the concept of positive and negative, the idea of unlimitedness and limitation, the idea of forgiveness and judgment, love and fear. It's like holding a beautiful flower and seeing the petals and saying, oh, man, this is so beautiful. It's too beautiful, I can't take it. So I think I'll prick my finger on this thorn and bring myself back down. No one ever told you, and your creator never insisted that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Your creator never put you here to judge and to create perceptions that are less than love. Because the truth of the matter is, all good fruit has been given to you freely, and you are always free to choose which fruit you will eat thereof. Here is what's suggested. An extended quote. Quote, I and my Father are one. What a blessed creation. I've been having so much fun as this wave. Yes, I see what I've carried along with me. Well, it was fun. I gained a few things. And now, what's next? Unlimitedness. Kerplunk, I'm going to drop that pebble into my mind. Perfect love. Ooh, that's a good one. Kerplunk. Wealth. Kerplunk. The ability to heal. Kerplunk, kerplunk, kerplunk. Oh, yes, I see that little pebble over there sitting on the shore. I've picked that one up a million times before. Unworthiness. Kerplunk, but not anymore. I'm done with you. I and my Father are one. I and my Creator are joined forever. Father, create through me the good, the holy, and the beautiful. For this is the reason for my being. How big of a wave can I become? How powerful can I become? How radiant can I become? How much of you, Creator, can I express through me? Kerplunk, kerplunk, kerplunk. The text goes on. Remember well, you are creating your tomorrows now. And what you experience never comes from outside of yourself, capital S, self. 
If you worry over lack of golden coins, you've dropped that pebble into the pond. Kerplunk. And then you begin to attract the vibrational ripples that will seem to picture back to you and reflect back to you the truth that you have chosen to believe, a truth that might be summarized as, quote, I live in lack and I can't get out. I can't possibly talk to Yeshua. I'm not worthy. Close quotes. Kerplunk. And then, the vibrational waves that come to you are the static that restricts your ability to transcend the third dimension and plug into others. So that even if I'm here yelling and shouting, hey, I'm here, I'm talking to you, listen. Your mind says, quote, that's not possible because I've dropped a rock in that says it's not possible. And therefore, I don't even hear a thing, close quotes. We hope you begin to get the picture. We hope you begin to feel in the core of your beingness the essence of this lesson's message. You cannot escape being what you were created to be in each and every moment. You are literally using that ceaseless and unlimited power to create. And you remain perfectly free at any time to create anew. What you will experience in your tomorrows is only the effect of which pebbles you are choosing to drop into the field of your awareness as thoughts now. So the only question becomes this. Quote, Am I, as a creative being, made in the image of my creator, am I willing to deliberately, consciously, and actively choose to be responsible for which thoughts, which pebbles get dropped into my mind in each moment? That's the only question. If the answer to that question is yes, I am willing, then the question becomes, what do I want those new pebbles to be? What vibrational qualities will I call to myself and thereby create my tomorrows? The text goes on and says, anytime you react to what you believe is outside of yourself, you may be absolutely positive of this. You have elected to pick up that old pebble that says, quote, I'm a victim of the world I see. What I experience is caused by forces outside of me. The fault really is in my brother, in my mother, in my father, in my partner, in my child. The fault really is in the government and the planet and the quality of the air. The fault really is from a source outside of me, and I have no choice but to react to it. Close quotes. To which Yeshua can only say, would you rather be right or happy? 
Because if you want to be right, you can be right about that, and you will create an experience that you are a victim of the world you see. The text goes on and wraps up this chapter or this lesson by saying, Indeed, beloved friends, consider well the essence of this lesson's message. For upon this, we will begin to build what we move, whatever we are building as we move toward the ending of the way of the heart. This is but a foundation from which those that are willing can spring forth into a grander dimension, a grander experience of living as a deliberate co-creator with the creation. But it all begins with a need to be responsible for owning the truth of the message of this lesson. For without that, there can be no change in your consciousness, and therefore, there can be no change in what you will experience in your tomorrows. So, if there is something in your present that makes you shudder, just think what is waiting for you if you once again deny choosing this responsibility and the power that comes with it. In other words, the only way out is through. So if there's a thought that comes to you and it makes you shudder and you try to turn away from it and you believe it's true and it's dangerous, and the only way out is to turn and face it and own the choice of giving it a priority in your life, of treating it as though it's real. When the, the truth is, the only actual, actual the truth of your life is that you are connected to your Creator and that there is nothing of value that can be taken from you and nothing of value that can be added unto you. So if you keep denying the creation that you've brought into being, you just keep experiencing it and you keep running from it as though it's big and powerful and it's going to overcome you. The last paragraph reads, Beloved and holy friends, remember that I come not to bring peace to the world, but to shake it up so that those beings that make up the world can discover where true peace is truly hidden within themselves and that those beings can discover where heaven abides within themselves and that those beings can discover where Christ lives within themselves. Peace then be unto you always. Amen. That is a wrap on Lesson 8. And as I've said a couple times already, one of my favorite chapters to go back and remind myself of because it calls me to be moment to moment, breath by breath, conscious and active in choosing, consciously choosing which thoughts I will value. And we've talked about it We'll keep talking about it. All minds are joined. It's possible for me to have any kind of a thought, violent, scary, hurt, confused. Any kind of thought can go through my mind. I don't have to value it. 
I don't have to treat it as though it's coming at me from an outside source. I don't have to run from it. I can see it, breathe and soften, and look at what kind of a a life experience or a tomorrow I'll create if I keep pouring mind energy into it or, or treating it as though it's real or something I need to run away from, and I can choose to shift the focus of my conscious awareness in that very next moment and shift it over to something that I would prefer to have in my present moment experience and to use as the seed of creating my tomorrows. And we are inviting, we are being invited by this work to step into that vigilant, committed, consistent application of the focus of our conscious awareness to just watch what's going through the field of our mind energy and choose actively which of those thoughts we will hold as a value that we'll pour more of our mind energy into and thereby create our experience in the moment and create our tomorrows. So, I've got about five minutes left. The call-in number is 563-999-3581. Thank you all for being here and listening. We have time for a quick comment or a question. Uh, I will be back tomorrow and Friday. As my grandmother would say, God willing, a creek don't rise. And... um, Tomorrow night we'll have a support group. And I believe Michael is on live today, but he'll have replays for Thursday and Friday. So step right up and get your comments or questions in with him today in this second hour because he's not going to be here for two more days. And... Feel free to join us tomorrow night for our support group or pass the information along to somebody you think might benefit from it. I have the pleasure in later this afternoon to do a second interview with Bill Sterley, S-T-I-E-R-L-E. He is the author of the book, The Emotional Sobriety Solution. And it's a book I can recommend for anybody who wants to have a slightly different template for thinking about conflicts, conflict resolution, helping people diffuse difficult situations, learning to map out the difference between an observation, a feeling, a need, and a request. I've mentioned this before. It's the first book I've ever read that's got color-coded words throughout the text. And observations are coded, colored in blue, feelings are coded in red, needs are coded in yellow, and requests are colored in green. So it helps the reader 
start to train their thinking into these, what he finds very valuable distinctions, these categories. Is what I'm saying an observation or is it an emotional feeling or is it a need or is it a request? Because a lot of times the way we're raised and how little education we actually have about good communication, a lot of times we're not sure. We think we're talking about our emotions or our feelings and really it's thoughts. And a lot of times we think we're making a request, but it's really a demand. And a lot of times we think we're making an observation, but it's really an interpretation. So the book, again, is titled The Emotional Sobriety Solution, and his name is Bill Sterley, S-T-I-E-R-L-Y. And I can recommend the book because... It's real solid stuff. There's nothing off the wall. When I interviewed him the first time, um, we had so many overlaps that it was kind of shocking to both of us that we've we've read a lot of the same source material, and he's just pulled it together in a from a different perspective. A very bright mind, working in the business field, working in negotiations, um, having a lot of success helping people defuse their upsets so thank you once again for being here I'll remind us all that we come from love we're made of the stuff we call love we actually are love and everything else is false welcome Jeannie Rice thank you Dr. Tim I appreciate you and enjoyed the talk it's amazing how the lesson today from the way of mastery is just blends right in with what Michael's going to address at the beginning of their show today too. So yeah, I just it's love of, it. Uh, it's kind of uh, spooky, <laughs> like <laughs> Einstein would say, spooky action at a distance. So, I know. all right, That's all right. Well, have, Thank have, you. have a good few days, a great show today, and we'll talk to you again on Monday. All right. Thanks. Bye. So welcome everybody to the second hour of MindShifters Radio and today is Wednesday, January the 24th, 2024 and our call-in number is 563-999-3581 and press 1 and that puts you into queue to talk to us and we'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show and uh, I'm trying to get I've been going here at the same time, so excuse me just a second. And yeah, it's really it's really pretty cool how Dr. Tim's conversations with the Way of Mastery just blends right into what we've been talking about as well, um, referring to um, death and people dying and it being safe. And so we'll give Michael just a minute to get dialed in, and I'll just say you know he's going to be on the road for. Um, tomorrow and Friday and so tomorrow we're actually uh, Dr. Tim's going to play there was a show where I believe it was Tim Bingham called in about what, how can we tell that the Kabor's manuscript was sourced so we're, it fits right in with the enlightenment and what we're doing now so that one is what we're going to play tomorrow and then Aramaicisms part one is what we're going to play on Friday so both of the pre-recorded shows the rest of this week fit in right with what we're doing and so join in and listen to them. And the archives page, like I said before, on the website uh, under 
Kaboris that uh, is the Enlightenment study, and you can pick up the links for the shows either on YouTube or Podbean. And so I see Michael has joined us, so I'm going to say welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here, and that we get to take it all to the next level. Uh, yesterday, with the uh, with what we shared about what had happened with my sister, and then we went into the whole idea of death and and processing from the Aramaic point of view how to how to move into the Aramaic mindset. And I guess there was a question or two about, well, are we going to continue with the Enlightenment? Yes, we are going to continue with the Enlightenment. I suspect the Enlightenment uh, work that we're going to do is going to go on for some period of time. I don't have any idea. I wouldn't be surprised if we spent a couple of years in this book, and I don't know, because we're not going to just do you know word for word of the book. We're going to move through ideas. And for me, my objective in this, having spent 40-plus years working with the Aramaic, is trained my mind to think differently than most of the world thinks. And what I'm looking to do with this is to help each individual to build the brain cells to move in that same direction, if it's something that you want to do, uh, to come from a different route than the Greek mythology and fantasies. Remember one of the early sessions I talked about the difference between reality and actuality and that the Aramaic is always pointing toward the actuality where the Greek mindset and the Greek explanation of virtually everything, the Greek meanings of words, tend to point us toward realities in the mind that have built up over time that are oftentimes fantasies uh, that are sometimes useful fantasies, you know, like and sometimes are destructive fantasies. You want to know the difference and get rid of the destructive ones, but ultimately to be able to at least conceive of the actuality in every situation. And so one of the, the thoughts that I didn't put into the equation yesterday as we spoke of this and I went into the mind shifters that I did is that um, the Aramaic meaning of the word death, you know, we have a, uh, a culture... Uh, that um, has some pretty bizarre ideas about death. And when you go to the Aramaic, it's a whole different process because the word in Aramaic, again, remember I've said so many times that most of the key words in Aramaic have been had their meanings changed from those that point to the actuality, again, to those that are in men's minds pointing to realities. And so in Aramaic, the word death, properly translated a la Kabor's manuscript, although it's not in the Enlightenment book, the word death means present elsewhere. So if you were an Aramaic-speaking person, you went into a store, and let's say we've got somebody who's got two locations, and the owner of the store is in the other location, the person behind the counter might say to you, oh, he's dead. It doesn't mean he's, he's finished, gone, end of life, you know, it's over, but rather simply means present elsewhere. And so the mind shifters that we went through yesterday on healing death, for me, are thoughts that 
from my work and my practice in dealing with, with the issues of death are a tool for working through, for ridding ourselves of the unconscious aspects of this whole uh, issue of death as we've been trained in, in this culture to think. You know, Vladimir Lenin, I've mentioned him a couple times, uh, he was very astute in that he recognized that the way that you destroy a way of thinking, and he spoke of it as a culture, the way to destroy a culture is to change the meaning of its words. And so what we're looking to do is to switch, to empower minds to switch back to the original direction that Aramaic words pointed and to undo the falsities of what we've been brainwashed with. And so I hope that makes sense for everybody. If there's a question, a thought about that, raise your hand and let's talk about it, if there's anything that we can can share with you around that. And, you know, one of the uh, stories that I usually tell, and I, I haven't shared this one in our, you know, since we started this study, but it's just a simple little illustration of the way that uh, a parable or a parallel meaning, an idiom works. And so let's imagine that I'm doing a series of week-long series of workshops and we get an email from a gentleman in Russia who wants to come fly in for the workshops. And I don't speak any Russian, but I know that you are the best translator of Russian into English and English into Russian in the world. I know that you have an extra room in your house, and I suspect that you might be willing to pick this person up in the airport, at the airport, translate for him, and drop him off at the airport after the week is over, house him and take care of him. And so I ask, and you're just delighted to do that. And, you know, we have a week together. We go out to lunch a couple of times. We have dinner. You know, we just have a great time together. And at the end of the week, I want you to convey to this gentleman, and seeing as how I don't speak his language, I, I ask you if you'll translate for me, and I want you to convey to him that I just really think he's just so cool. And you turn to him in your best Russian and say to him, Michael thinks you've got a low body temperature. Now, you translated my words absolutely perfectly. He just didn't say anything about what I meant. And that's the problem with literal versus the parallel meaning or parable or idiom. And the Aramaic language is simply rife with idioms. It's just loaded with idioms. And you can't translate an idiom, and that's why there are so many uh, foolish things that come through in the Greek translations that just don't make any sense, but people stretch and try to make sense of them. So I hope the uh, mind shifters we touched into yesterday were useful, and and that was just healing one's own ideas, one's own mind energy around the idea of death. And then, as Jeannie said, there's another section in our Mind Shifters uh, package uh, that takes a different approach, and that is healing issues around people dying. And so I'd like to run through the 13 Mind Shifters in that section. If any of them resonate for you, remember the way to use a Mind Shifter is take a piece of paper, split it down the middle, write the Mind Shifter on the left of the page, and then let that 
mind shifter resonate through you and let your mind dump anything and everything that comes up in it in response to that mind shifter. So in our Michael, section 15, yes, Woody? We did, oh, power's flickering here. Hopefully I'll stay connected. Um, there, we did have a question through an email. I don't know if you want to oh, get great. that first. Or... Sure, yes, please, let's do it. Okay, she says, um, I'm new to your work. I'm curious about mental illness, specifically narcissism. Have you addressed this in blogs or podcasts? I'm married into a family where there are two generations, and I've never had to deal with it directly before. I'm having a difficult time reconciling my feelings and feeling it's okay for my young children to be part of the relationship. It's toxic, and it's the opposite of love. It brings up such intense feelings within me. I've gone through the Dragon Klingon gang, uh, but some of it didn't seem to apply. Is there such a thing that there is such a toxic relationship you should steer clear of it and it's not necessarily about you? Well, I hear two different um, issues that you're bringing up with that question. And so I'll, I'll take the latter part of the question first, and that is, are there relationships or situations that are so toxic it's a good idea to steer clear of them and that that's not about you? Absolutely. No question about it. There are some pretty crazy behaviors around in the world, and I think there are times, and, and this is, of course, a choice that each person needs to make for themselves as to when you step outside of a relationship that's toxic. And only you can determine that for you. So that would be one question. And uh, yes, I would say absolutely. There are cases where that's appropriate. Then the other question that I hear you asking or, or stating a, as kind of a fact is that you have these untoward feelings going on in you. Now, that my offering would be is absolutely yours and that's where I would offer the forgiveness worksheet and or each and every one of the tools that we teach would be appropriate to use in that circumstance. So if you're in a situation, one of the first things to be aware of is that you are in that situation by right of consciousness. Nothing can come to you that you're not involved in. You know, we live in an energy field. It's, let's imagine you know, I've got uh, two magnets in my hand, and I take the north pole of one magnet, and I try to force it into the north pole of the other magnet. What happens? I can't do it. If I put a lot of force into it, more force than the strength of the magnets, maybe I can force them together, but the minute that I remove that force, they pop apart again. And we are literally, we magnetize or we set up an attractive energy field that draws us to situations and circumstances and draws those situations and circumstances to us. If you're feeling something, then my first order of business, my first uh, suggestion to you would be, one, if you're in an environment that's not physically safe, get out. You know, whether it's your work or their work or they're crazy or you're crazy, whatever it is, get out of Dodge. You know, get out of town. Get out of that situation. 
And once you're in a safe environment, then start to look at and take responsibility for the feelings or the emotions that are moving in you. And you can only have an emotion where there is a thought moving. My offering would be that, you know, if we, if we listen to the opening words in the book of John in Aramaic, where the Greeks tell us it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was made flesh. In Aramaic, what it says is, in the beginning was the mind energy and the mind energy became flesh. Now, my mind energy becomes my flesh. Your mind energy becomes your flesh. Mine can't become yours. Yours can't become mine. And we have this seemingly we were given this wonderful gift called emotions to warn us about the qualities of energy that we're engaging in. Now, if we listen to the cell biologist Bruce Lipton, we talked about him the other day, what he's showing is that when you think a thought, this is in the laboratory, when you think a thought, that thought produces a molecule called a neuropeptide. Literally, a molecule that wasn't there a moment ago thinks a thought and the molecule appears. And my offering and, and what he's showing is that that thought, that molecule, will then circulate around in your structure until it finds a cell with a receptor site that matches. It will land on that receptor site. And Bruce says that the cell replicates the neuropeptide. I don't think that's accurate. I think energetically, just the same way that a, uh, a signal coming from the TV station does not get replicated by the antenna in the TV, uh, for the, your TV, the, it, the energy of it is absorbed or inserts itself through resonance into the antenna. My offering is that that neuropeptide energetically inserts itself into the cell. And if we were on the inside of the cell watching that energy come in through that receptor site, we would call what enters the cell chemistry, mind energy becoming flesh. Now, what makes sense to me is that the creator gave us this awesome gift. First of all, we're creators. That's why we're responsible for everything that comes into our lives. Now, be careful that your mind doesn't interpret the word responsibility as blame. There's nothing in the word responsibility about blame, fault, guilt. It simply means I'm playing a part in this. There's a part of me that's involved in whatever happens in my life. So if I draw a situation that resonates or activates mind energy in me, and I pretend the mind energy isn't mine, that the mind energy is moving in me, and these feelings are a result of what's moving in me because of what they did, then I'm in denial. My offering is we need to undo that denial and take responsibility. So, again, what I see happening is mind energy, some a piece of mind energy has resonated in me, and when that mind energy lands on the cell, this is my best intuitive hit on what happens. When that mind energy lands on the receptor site, it generates what we call emotions. And that energy generated is there to warn us or feed back to us the quality of the mind energy that we are engaging in. So if you're 
emotions are disturbed, pained, traumatized, then you've got work to do. Separate from, is this person off the wall crazy? Now, again, if this is someone that's off the wall crazy and I've chosen to get out of, get out of town, I'm going to get out of this space, do it in order to be safe, but make sure that you continue to forgive or clean up the mind energy in you that's creating that emotion. Elsewise, that energy resonating in you guarantees that you'll draw that person back to you again, or not necessarily that person, but someone with those attributes will come back into your world. If you want to look deeper into that, you can go to our website. Unfortunately, I can't sell you a copy of my book because they're out of print. However, you can go to Amazon or eBay, and there are always used copies available, usually on both of those sites. And or you can go to whyagain.org, our website, and in the middle of the page, you'll see a, a picture of the book. If you click on that and drill down, you can download the book free in any one of nine different languages. So if you want to read that, the whole thing is about what's the part of me that's playing into this and what does forgiveness mean? What can I do about this? And forgiveness means it's the way that I access the unconscious or hidden part of my own mind, the part of my mind that I've hidden from myself that is reflecting as some sort of disturbed emotional energy. Now, you you mentioned using the Dragon-Klingon game, and that's specifically designed for kids, and a lot of adults start there, but I would suggest that you also advance to one or the other. There are two different worksheets in the app, and by the way, anybody who's listening, if you don't have our forgiveness app, you can go to your app store and type in Heartland, H-E-A-R-T-L-A-N-D, one word, Heartland, Aramaic, A-R-A-M-A-I-C, forgiveness, and you can download the app free. There are two different versions of the worksheet, plus the Dragon Klingon game for introducing forgiveness to children. I'd suggest starting to use those, and as you do, if questions come up, then please call the show and ask for support. And or in the archives on our radio show, there's a section on the website that's titled Special Shows. And in that list, there are at least 19 or 20 different radio shows where we've walked somebody step-by-step through the whole worksheet and explained it. So it, uh, it can appear to be complicated because it arouses all sorts of complex hiding mechanisms and such in the mind. It's really a pretty simple worksheet process, a step-by-step process, but there are at least 20 shows that walk you through the whole thing and answer all of your questions, so I'd suggest watching those. Also on our YouTube channel, uh, the workshop, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, where we explain the whole forgiveness process, the whole idea of resonance, how it all comes together. That's a three-hour, and I think it's a 20-minute, three-hour and 20-minute workshop. You're welcome to go to our YouTube channel and to find that, just go to YouTube and type in Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-R-Y-C-E, and you'll find our channel there and look for Why Is This Happening to Me Again? There's also a PowerPoint that explains how the forgiveness process works, why you do such a ridiculous thing is cancel a perfectly good goal. You know, with the person that's 
narcissistic and off the wall and what have you, you might have a goal of, well, I just want, you know, to be safe or I want my children to be safe. And I'm enraged because they're not safe. So they're two different issues. Gee, my children aren't safe. I'm going to get them to safety. And my rage is about something going on inside of me. And it's a cover, rage, anger. Most people think of as an emotion. And my offering is that anger is not emotion. Anger is a drug. It's literally an anesthetic produced by the body. When we don't want to deal with some sort of emotional response, anger is a way, it's one of the drugs that we use to hide from ourselves. So if that, I hope that makes sense. And if there are any other questions, we're certainly happy to support you and, uh, and answer them and do the best we can to support you in it and or call into the show. And we'll walk you through a work seat as well. So that's another possibility. So I hope and that uh, fits. Jeannie, go ahead. I was just going to say also if you go to whyagain.org and click on the upper left corner that says start here, there are two videos. One of them navigates the website, kind of shows you where things are, and the other one navigates the app. Perfect. And we're here to answer every question we can possibly answer to walk you through how to make that as functional as possible. But that would be my input from the information that you gave us in that question. Hope it's supportive. Any thoughts to add to that for you, Jeannie? No, you covered it very well. Thank you. And I'll send her a link to today's show and and when she can look for her answers. So that's awesome. Thank you. Sweet. There's no other awesome. hands up. Thank you, sir. So you okay. can go forward. Cool. So then uh, there's another section in, in order to move out of the Greek idea of death, the false idea, into the underlying truth around death. We went through a number of mind shifters yesterday, tools for processing your own mind. And so this section is entitled Healing Issues Around People Dying. And so I'm going to run through these uh, 13 mind shifters, and that'll give you kind of an idea of what sort of things can be used to shift the mind and to change. And again, at any point where there's a question, push one, and let's have a conversation about it. So the first mind shifter in section 15 is it's safe and healing for people to die. Now, again, that's a ridiculous thought for most people. Healing for people to die? You've got to be crazy. Well, if we step out of resonance and carbon-based memory and that physiological system collapses, then the being has an opportunity on a subtler level to shift into a space of light. If you listen to most people who've gone through what they call a near-death experience, and a near-death experience really isn't a near-death experience at all. A near-death experience is what's called a near-life experience in the actuality. You know, if we were to go to the Aramaic, I suspect, now I don't know of anywhere that they talk about a near-life experience in the in the scriptures, but if if they were to talk about what the world calls a near-death experience where clinical death occurs and then someone's resuscitated and they come back and they have all these stories about the light and such that they've been in, that's a person whose their physiology has clinically experienced what they call clinical death, but the being, now that the 
carbon-based memory system called this multi-generational database we call a body-mind unit, now that it has shut down, things get quiet and people have an opportunity to experience on a subtler, quieter level what's really going on. And so many people have lost awareness of themselves as creatures and beings of love and light and come to identify themselves with disorders in their minds that are have been planted by or accumulated from generations and generations of destructive power person messages. So when carbon-based memory, when this body-mind unit enters clinical death, that whole thing shuts up and we have an opportunity. If one happens to be resuscitated, and there's a lot of research going on in this arena of, that's of what we would call near life. In fact, they've, they've found that uh, where, where the, it's been thought that, well, you know, three, five minutes without oxygen and the brain is dead. Well, actually, they've had, uh, they're doing this with animals, not with humans at this point, at least as far as I know. But they've been able to take animals who've, let's say, they've done experiments with pigs that have been decapitated. And five hours later, five hours decapitated, been able to begin circulation again through that tissue, and the pig comes back and shows all of the signs of life that we would call that would tell us that this brain is alive. So there's more to the game than we've been able to see, but the key here is to recognize that healing can happen in that state of death and that as we're holding a space for someone, if clinical death occurs, it can be a powerful place for healing to happen. Second mind shifter, I am willing to have a full-blown near-life experience and do away with death. Now, I'm not suggesting anybody go pursue a near-life experience, clinical death. It's a risky kind of a thing to do, but just that should it happen to occur, to, to step into, to resolve all fear-based thought thinking in regard to death and step into willingness, should that be something that occurs. Third mind shifter, eternal life through cleaning up my generations seems silly, but I'm going to do it anyway. Now, again, as I said yesterday, if my thesis about eternal life is true, then you really miss out if you don't accept it and work with it. If it's false, then you get to work through some things and you haven't lost anything. So where the world would say, well, it's silly to even work on something like that. Well, that might be one perspective, and maybe that perspective's in error. And if that perspective's in error and you ignore it, then you've really lost. Mind shifter four in that section is, I accept all of the support life has to give me because I deserve it. You know, one of the basic messages that many people get from their power person is that they are not deserving of the highest and best honors and the highest and best in support that's possible. 
And my offering is that you deserve that kind of support just because the Creator put the breath of life in you. Many people say, well, I'm less than because, and they've got a whole list of the because things that they use to withhold true support from themselves with. And my offering here is that you deserve full, complete, absolute support of the presence of love 24-7, 365, just because the Creator put the breath of life in you. In fact, that's one of our mind shifters in one of the earlier sections of this ever-expanding mind shifters list. Mind shifter five, I'm made for eternal life and I'm willing to embrace and heal every idea that conflicts with that. Now, the world has told you that you're made for death. Well, you know it's inevitable. Everybody has to die. Well, I think that's a lie. And if it's a lie, but you believe it, it's going to kill you. So what's it cost to say, to at least question, well, maybe that's a lie. Maybe it's not required. You know, if I look over there in the forest and somebody said, well, you know, there's a a gold mine over there that's wide open and you can take all the gold you want and you don't believe it and you don't go over to the forest and you don't enter it, then obviously you're never going to be able to pick up one ounce of that gold. But if it's there and you ignore the possibility, you've lost. My offering is that you and I are made for eternal life. Mind Shifter 6, I'm happy and healthy, and my life is so filled with love that eternal life looks delicious to me. Now, many people, when I speak to them about eternal life, their response is, oh, who would want to live for eternity? You know, that just seems like, oh, yeah. Well, if life is love flowing through a cell, why would anyone want to give that up? for a minute. Why would one want to do that? And those who recoil at the idea of eternal life are people who have thought disorders that turn life, the experience of life, into something that it's not designed to be. And when you heal those thought disorders, then you move into deeper and deeper places where just the fact of having a human life becomes one of the most precious things you could possibly think of. Mind shifter seven in that section is drama and trauma, pardon me, drama and trauma signal death energies in me, and I joyfully confront and heal all such energies. How many people can't imagine a life without drama and trauma? And they think that the drama and trauma is outside of them and caused from the, is caused from the outside. Now, certainly there's enough drama and trauma in the world to go around. But because the world is in drama and trauma doesn't mean that you are. You're only going to be in drama and trauma if there's drama and trauma in you. Now, the world has taught us to live in denial and to believe that, well, I'm only experiencing drama and trauma because of what you did. Remember our definition of denial. When I think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of what's moving inside of me, I'm in denial. And when I'm in denial, I dissociate from the very thing that I need to deal with. And so 
if there if you have been raised in a, a family system in a culture that make it look like drama and trauma is not only necessary but unavoidable then I'd suggest you take this mind shift to go to work and clean up your drama and trauma like get done with it and if if drama and trauma comes to the front door and knocks cancel the thought then step in as the presence of love and bring healing to it that's your power as a human being that's a superpower that was given to each and every one of us so mind shifter eight joy is a signal that eternal life energies are moving in me now I'm distinguishing joy from happiness happiness is a dopamine hit feels good and dopamine is something that you know it's been called happy powder when he hits receptor sites you go oh I'm happy we're not I mean happy is a nice thing it's great to be always achieving your goals so that happiness is always with you but happiness isn't joy and joy is a whole other level and joy is living in the space where love is moving through your cellular structure and generating what we call joy continuously you're designed for that and the only reason if you're not experiencing that is because there are other energetic dynamics in your cell cells and so I'd invite you to recognize that whatever's happening in your world that if you've cleaned up your multi-generational database called the body mind unit of its hostility and fear whatever is happening in your world you can be in a connected space with joy now that might be even a situation where something terrible is happening in the world and and staying connected to the yourself as the presence of love and removing all thought disorders based in hostility or fear and what happens if there's a tragedy in the world you bring joy to that tragedy now you'll notice that let's say in a in circumstances where in our culture someone dies most people you know let's say they're going to go to visit uh, a person who's had a family member die all of their pain and trauma that they've not resolved around death and it's kind of like this sympathy game or that word resonance there's another word that goes hand in hand with resonance and it's sympathetic sympathetic resonance and so many people go to let's say awake and they take their pain and their trauma and it's almost like well my pain and trauma are a match to your pain and trauma let's suffer together thank you but I'm not interested in anybody showing up at any kind of of death ceremony that I've ever been engaged in and bringing that with you my request of you would be if you're going to come please come connected to love and if I've got some trauma in me around what's happening then you can facilitate and be the support for me healing in that situation and you are not honoring the dead by being in a big upset and set of tears over it that's not honoring a person who's dead and it's certainly you know do you suppose the person who let's say there's someone who's suffering over the loss of a loved one 
Are you serving that person to bring your pain and suffer with them? Or would you be serving to bring joy into that space and be the space of aliveness and healing for the person who's suffering? My offering would be, you're not serving anybody by taking your suffering to awake. You are serving anyone and everyone involved if you are connected to joy. That doesn't mean that you don't wish that person weren't still here. It doesn't mean that you don't have empathy for loss or any of that. But to bring the active presence of love to every experience I would offer is the possibility of a true human being. That's what we're really capable of. And that's our invitation here, that each person, wherever you go, brings with you that connected space of love so that you serve the healing of everyone that you connect with. Mind Shifter 9 in that section is, as I forgive, I youth, strengthen, and step into eternal life, my natural state. My offering is the only cause of death. You know, if you go back and you listen to the Aramaic, you remember they said, the wages of sin is death. Now, I can remember being a kid and hearing that and thinking that was some kind of theological idea about, well, God is going to get us for our sins. But then when I started to understand the Aramaic from enlightenment that the word sin means an energy that's off the mark, then then I realized that what they were talking about was physiology. When I started to look at it as a physician, when I started to look at, oh, disease, death, suffering is a result of sin. Yes, all of it. It's a result of an energy that doesn't belong in the system. Energy systems don't naturally come apart. Something has to be put in them to cause them to deteriorate. So when I apply forgiveness and I remove the deteriorating energies, then I strengthen who I am as an eternal being. Ten. And I'll say this from experience. I've had the opportunity four times in the last two years or so. And this mind shifter is, it is safe and healing to be in the presence of a dying friend. Can I bring the space of love and just be here? Actually, you might remember about, oh, I guess it's a year and a half or so ago now, a friend of mine in over near Nashville was the hospice people had come in. He was in hospice, and they told his wife that he had less than 24 hours. And so I got in the car and went over, went in, and he hadn't been responsive. He hadn't spoken. He hadn't done anything for oh, 20 or so hours, and they made that pronouncement. And when I went in, really staying connected to love and connected with him, within about five minutes, he was up and chatting and talking, and, and everybody was just like, whoa, 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 what just happened here? 
nothing miraculous, just what we're capable of as human beings. The next day when the nurse came in and he was sitting up and talking and eating and, you know, joking and had his hand in the avocet, the nurse was like, oh, what just happened here? I, I said yesterday he'd be gone within 24 hours. Well, is it required? I just asked the question. So this mind shifter, it's safe in healing to be in the presence of a dying friend. And each of these mind shifters is designed to lift us out of the Greek realities about everything to do with death and life and to point us in the direction of the actualities that the Aramaic sends us into. Again, the word death in Aramaic meaning present elsewhere. Mind shifter number 11, seeing a quote-unquote body reminds me to connect with the person who once inhabited that body. I can remember being a kid and and hearing about death and being told and, and, and thinking about how horrible it would be to see a dead body. And now I realize that that was all just brainwashed garbage. What have we been told? What have we been brainwashed with in this culture? And so if someone has passed, has left their body behind, can I still connect with them as a being rather than thinking what the Greeks told us to think, oh, well, gone, done, over, finished, nothing else. So can I develop the higher ability to connect with this, the person who once inhabited that body as a human being? I'll offer that for me personally. When my mother passed away, it's about geez, four years ago now, I had years and years and years ago, I'd been in business with some friends who were into doing things, into uh, painting and firing figurines. And I'd made a, hang out with them, I'd made a couple of figurines, which I gave to him, which he really treasured. Unfortunately, my sister didn't know where those had come from, and when my mom passed away, she sold them at a garage sale. But I happened to find a figurine similar to the one. It wasn't exactly the same, but similar to the one that I'd made for my mom. And I'm sitting here now in this room, and at the end of, on the wall, hanging on the wall, is a little plaster, plastic case with that figurine in it. This is my bedroom. And pretty much daily, I use that as a symbol to remind me to connect with the being that is my mother and chat with her and connect with her. And we're capable of doing that, where most people just think of loss and gone. So perhaps we can live in the Aramaic mindset of death means present elsewhere. 
So mind shifter number 12 in this list, as I hold a clear vision of eternal life, I am automatically guided to fulfill that vision. If I buy the culture's idea of death, then I will be my automatic decision system will tend to key me in to doing the behaviors that will produce that result. If I hold a clear vision of eternal life, then my guidance system is going to move me in a different direction. And then, mind shift to number 13, the last one in this section that we'll talk about. And again, if you have questions or thoughts, push one. Let's have a conversation about it. How can we support you? As my partner and I hold a vision of eternal life together, we heal all generational blocks. As my partner and I hold a vision of eternal life together, we heal all generational blocks. What if that's one of the purposes of relationship? And we've been ignoring it. I'd offer that is one of the purposes of relationships. And so as we do our work together, as we join, remember Yeshua said, when two or more are gathered, if we connect and gather, which is one of the things this show is about, then what Yeshua said is, my energy is going to be there. I'll be there to support you. And so my offering is we're here to ask for that support, to receive that support, and to extend that support to others. And so that's one of the purposes of this radio show. And there are some of the ideas around healing death that we invite everybody to engage in and to connect with and be in that space. And Miss Jeannie, we're down to about oh, 13 minutes or so. Do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? Yeah, we just had a hand go up and... Um it may seem like just five years ago, but I believe your mom passed in 2013. Wow, it seems like five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Ten years, my goodness. Well, I guess that just kind of, you know, is a testimony to what I'm what I'm saying. Is because it it seems like, I mean, I have to imagine that she's gone as opposed to I connect with her all the time. So, right. Yeah, it's been right. almost seven years since my mom's been gone. So. Wow. Anyway, yeah. So our hand up is Dusty nine oh four. You're on the air. Well, yes. Hi. Um, well, I haven't yeah, talked that, to you so long, Dusty. It's been minutes. Yeah. Welcome. I know it's been forever, <laughs> and. Uh, I do understand about your your uh, your mother, and sometimes when there's a lot of love there, I think that uh, time means nothing, in a sense. And um, I'm glad for you on that. Um, you answered that uh, email about uh, narcissism so well and gave options, and it was so great. And I don't know that this is will help at all, but two things popped to my mind. One is that um, most 
of the true narcissist I know, know, have known did not really know that that's what they were about. And two, the ones that did, sometimes they have a way of flipping in and out, in and out, and kind of baiting you and bringing you back in and out. And so I just wanted to throw that out. Um, uh, it's not a solution particularly. But I do have a question, if you have a, if you have a, a and it's about the, in, what's in the Aramaic about the Trinity. I keep, uh, you know, when I was, uh, I was a kid, you know, I kept hearing, you know, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, all that. I have since seen, uh, I've, I've been reading a lot of people really confused about that, and I see why. Because when I heard that as a kid, I was an acolyte. I'd sat there every Sunday, and I went, eh, there's something wrong with that. There's something that's not quite right. And I wonder if there's anything in the Aramaic about that. Nothing comes to mind specifically from the Aramaic about that, except, uh, and, and it's more general than just the Aramaic, but for me, how I experience that or view it is that each one of us is a triune being. Each one of us has the ability to function as in, in a way of executing, of carrying out whatever's in us. So as creators, we all execute. We all create what happens in our world. And few people ever, ever move into the ability to originate an original energy. And so I would see the father aspect of the Trinity as the ability to execute, or pardon me, to originate, to come literally rather than just reshuffling the deck with what's gone on in the generations before us, actually to be able to bring through and bring in something new. And then the sun aspect being that of expression, that of bringing it into activity. And then in Aramaic, the, the third aspect of what they call the Trinity, in Aramaic is called Ruka de Kutche. It's actually the breath. And it's defined as she who undoes the effects of our errors and teaches us the truth. So there's this, and, and it's defined as an elemental force in the Aramaic, that there's this elemental force in us that if we're willing to listen, will keep us on track, teach us, and energetically anything that we've engaged in that doesn't belong in the system will literally undo the energetic dynamics within ourselves and all of the influences of that energy through all time to weaken and remove it. So that would be my take on it, but nothing specific, as I say, from the Aramaic. Ruka de Kutcha, yes, that, that feminine elemental force, but otherwise that would be my response to it. Well, well I sense. hear that. Yeah, yeah, and I can follow that. You know, it's it's amazing how close that was to Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva in in a certain way, um, in the Hindu thing. Tell, tell me Hindu about that. Too. Well, uh, well, it, the more or less the the literal way that is thought of is that Brahma is the creator. That's the beingness. The the father, father you could say, were. That's the originator. Right. Now, Vishnu, they've got Vishnu uh, as 
the sustainer and then they've got it depends there are so many ways of looking at shiva but shiva is um some people some think oh she is just a destroyer so we can have a complete cycle and but shiva is more than that shiva uh, also has a damaru a two-headed drum in one hand that creates universes or creates whatever as well as gets rid of what we don't need and um and more um but that's kind of how that works um and it depends on whether you're culturally oriented or how you want to look at it um uh, i look at look at ruka yes okay no no you go ahead i'm listening well, if you look at Ruka de Kutcha, she who undoes the effects of errors, that would fit with that whole idea of the destroyer. It's going to undo those energetic patterns that don't belong and uh, and recycle the energy. Yes, and, yes, exactly. And, and to me, and I mean, I meditate on this just every night. And um, even though I don't think most people do, I... I perceive Shiva as as totally connected with the Ruka, with with the elemental forces. That's the function. So, yeah. Well, you know, I, I think that there are traces, although there are many people who are like, oh, no, ours is the only one that contains any truth. You know, right people aren't on. stupid. Yeah people down through the ages, and there are people who focus on one aspect or another. But ultimately, there's really only one thing to talk about. And, you know, um, who am I thinking of? Um, Winston Churchill said, we have the privilege of being separated by a common language. <laughs> and And just because people's <laughs> words differ, they think they're speaking about something else. But, you know, if you look at this whole creation aspect, if you look at the... Uh, uh, the, the physicist, the physicist, well, there's, there's just this one thing, and it's called energy, and it's eternal, and it's everywhere present. It makes up all things. It's got all the power, and, and it's the only thing that acts in the world. Okay, so, so now we've got a word, and we think that's separate from the theologian who says, well, you know, there's just this one thing. It's called God, and it's everywhere present. It makes up all things, and it has all the power, and it's the only thing that ever, that's ever acted in the world. Hmm, sounds like you might be talking about the same thing. You listen to the psychologist, the psychologist says, well, there's this collective unconscious, you know, it's, it's everywhere present and it makes up all things and it's got all the power. <clears throat> you know, we're privileged to be separated by a common language. <laughs> there's really only That's... one thing to talk about <laughs> and it's yeah. what is. And, and so in, in ego state, somebody who's figured out one way to talk about it wants to make sure that everybody knows theirs is the only way to talk about it. And if you don't talk about it their way and you don't understand it their way, then you're going to hell. And, it, and that whole game of threat, well, that's pretty much universal too. And, uh, and it's yeah. time for us to wake up to who we are as human beings and, and recognize we're, we're all speaking from a common language. And, you know, this, this game of... You know, my God's better than your God. It's pretty well. Bizarre. It is so there. Pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah <laughs> there yeah, you go. Yeah. My my God yeah, can yeah. beat up your God. <laughs> oh, but, yeah. Any day, and also, um, even though 
people get locked into the cultural paradigms of whatever that religion is, you know, they're in. Um, nonetheless, I think a whole lot of us, if not everybody, has a slightly different take, even though they might think it's the same. I mean, I know I'm uh, a composite in a way of my experiences, but um, it's we're unique. I th- I believe that we're just a little drop of unique in, in a vast ocean here, and we get to we get to be that. Yes. Yeah, with, for with, sure, and especially when when, you, when there's recognition for the for Brahma as <laughs> the father, as it were. So, so, anyways, that was uh, some good stuff today, Michael Anna, and Jeannie. So, thank you very much. Cool. Do you, by any chance, know how you catch a unique rabbit? When you're talking about unique, do you know how to catch a unique rabbit? Uh, give it a unique parrot? I don't know. No, you unique up on it. And 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 do you know how to catch? Do you know how to catch a tame rabbit? Do you know how to catch a tame rabbit? The tame way. I this is where they take the cane and do the little side shoe off the left. There you go. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I, but I do want to. I and one last thing. Winston Churchill. I I have some of his things just committed to memory, like you do there, because God, he could come up with some stuff that you wouldn't expect him to come up with, and he would. And I, I really like. I admired that about that gentleman. Right. Yeah. So, and uh, and uh, as well as your show. So, anyways, I think we're about out. So, I unless you got some more little soft shoe numbers there. I'm complete on that one, sir. <laughs> okay, okay. And I've got I've got a Winston, but it's going to take more than like 20 seconds or whatever it is. So, I will bid everybody adieu and and much love, much love and grace. All right, sir. You have a blessed one. Take care. Thank you. So I'm going to turn to, uh, we're just down to just a few seconds, but I'm going to turn to page two in the manuscript, if you've got the manuscript there, top of the page. And we're going to look at just just the first paragraph, the introduction, uh, and recognize, you know, this is, text was written in the Syriac language, which is Aramaic, and this introduction and the translation of these passages are from the Kabor's manuscript and the, the translation work was done initially by a group of 25 of the world's top aramicists and you'll see the names of some of those uh, translators uh, in this first paragraph Dr. Norman Malik Yonan originally he had a text that was called the Yonan Codex actually there have been some scholars who uh, saw the Kaburis and saw the Yonan and thought they were the same text and became critical of the uh, Kaburis because they they were looking at the Yonan text, which was about a 7th century text, instead of a 2nd century, and that's created some confusion. And uh, so 
some of the translators that worked on that particular text were a gentleman named Dr. John Chapley, who was one of the uh, top Aramaicists in the world, Catholic University, a gentleman named uh, Shaduk de Mershuman, and he was a gentleman who was a Syrian, and that was it was his name native language, and then Dan McDougald. So what I'll do when we start tomorrow is, or pardon me, actually I guess it'll be Monday because we are playing. I'm going to be traveling tomorrow. Uh, so, but I'll start and share a couple of stories about uh, Mar Schumann. And uh, he's a gentleman that Dan McDougald used to say was older than God. And uh, so we'll we'll share some stories about. Uh, uh, Reverend Mar Schumann and uh, Dan McDougall, who was a partner of mine. So, everybody, appreciate you being with us and uh, create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye bye.